This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Because it's a pretty long day anyway. Uh, since, since you're getting to know me, someone during the break just said, oh, what, what is up with, I got on your website and uh, there's two things about me that you might not know that you're either, you might like or you might like, that is so not appropriate. But we like to have fun at our church, and so 2020, so you, I was talking to you about that message about the sovereignty of God I did last Sunday. Every January, for 26 years now, I'll do a message or two that reviews our big rocks, our core values as a church. You know, why do we do what we do? What is most important? Because our church, we are not going to do everything. People want you to do everything. Here's the big rocks. Sometimes I'll cover all of them, and sometimes I'll just do one. So this past Sunday, I did one, the big rock of God's sovereignty. But in 2020, I had an idea, because uh, I like to sing, that I thought, I think I could write, write a big rock Sunday song to the tune of Queens, We Will Rock You. <laughs> and uh, if you want, now, if that's not your cup of tea, don't go there. But if you like that kind of stuff, yeah, I'm standing there like this. Big rock, big rock Sunday. <laughs> the band's playing live. The band learned it. Oh. It's amazing. <laughs> and then the other thing you might not know is I love to dance. And uh, so at my daughter's wedding, you know how sometimes you'll see at a wedding some father-daughter dance that starts off like this and just like, woo! And then they really do it. We really do it. So if you Google Big Knee Best Father-Daughter Dance, because it is the best father-daughter dance, there's an African-American young guy in my church. He's actually the brother of Sean Alexander. Remember the running back for the Seahawks, Sean Alexander? He went to high school in our area. His, his brother, Duran, is in our church, and he's a fabulous dancer. So we put together these songs and just gave it to him, and he choreographed the whole thing, and we met him in the children's sanctuary with a boombox for three months to practice this thing. I mean, we do a wave and everything, <laughs> and I take off my jacket and sling it. Oh, it's good. Or... You can say, I do not want to see that. I could never listen to you again. Whatever. You make the choice. But sometimes when I go places, every now and then, I just taught uh, somewhere, and they're like, now here's somewhat, something that you may not know about him. And they threw that Big Rock Sunday song up on the screen. I was like, oh. <laughs> but then once it got going, I thought, that is good. Because I was sitting on my, my, I go away for three days to some cabin to plan out the preaching, and I take it that it was really of the Lord, because I mean, the verses just came to me. You know, because the chorus is easy, big rock, big rock, but you know, that, the verses are like, da 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 that ain't easy. But I did it. I'm talking about waving his banner all over the place, and we're covered with grace. Oh, it just came to me, came to me. I'm not saying it's inspired and we should add it to the back of your Bible, but it is good. Now you can't even think in this session, can you? So some of you are getting online right now. Just wait. Wait for lunch. Then maybe gather in a classroom with a big screen TV. Somebody work that out. Somebody be working that out. Here we go. So, how would you look for idols? I've given you a prayer, and that's a great start. But what else might you do to say, Lord, I'd like to have a greater awareness of where might my heart be or where might my heart easily shift? I'm prone to that. 
I'm pre- you think about the hymn writers. The hymn writers got some of this right. Remember that great hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. That hymn writer was recognizing, you don't say, I put my trust in Jesus. I'm saved. I'm justified. I'm born again. And now forevermore, I know my heart will automatically stay where it should. I wish. I wish. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. So how would you begin to, to look and be aware of? Well, let's, let's review our definition again before we dig in a little more. An idol, say it with me, is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts and minds and affections more than God. So the possibilities are endless, even good things. So when a good thing, like marriage or kids or work or even ministry, you know, so I was guilty as a minister of doing a good thing but turning it into a God thing that served a Brad thing and now we're off the rails. That's what's so tricky about this. Is like when a good thing becomes a little God thing, it's a really bad thing for your relationship with God and everyone around you. It's impacting. So here's the bottom line for most of us. Idolatry is not so much wanting the wrong thing. I never have any believer look at me and say, Brad, all I want to do is run a brothel. No. But it sounds like this. All I want is a husband who talks more. All I want are children who love Jesus. All I want is a supervisor or a boss who affirms me and recognizes my... We just think there's nothing wrong with what I'm wanting. And there isn't. It's just that you're wanting it too much. It's out of place. It's inordinate. That's what the, that's what the Puritans talked about. Because when you lose your sense of biblical appropriate priority for this thing, oh, you end up sacrificing biblically important things on the altar of what you want so badly. Is there a good thing that's ruling your life more than God himself? We've talked about it. It can happen with children, and I understand you love them so much, and it's appropriate to, to pour into them and to care for them, but there's this fine line that you cross, and often you don't know it. Here's what's tricky about idolatry. Often you do not know that something has become inordinate until it's taken or shaken. You understand what I'm saying? You know, you might be sitting here and say, every time I mention children, you're thinking, no, I don't worship my children. You really don't know sometimes until something you would not have chosen happens. Until If all your kids are goose-stepping along for Jesus, right? It's easy to say, no, I don't worship. What if one of them goes off the rails and becomes a prodigal? And now I struggle to get out of bed. I don't want to help at VBS anymore. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to go to group. You see what I'm saying? Why did that cause you to shut down? Often you don't know it. It's easy to say, I don't live for my health and image, but then when something happens and you're diagnosed with something or something comes into your life that now greatly limits what you used to be able to do and you find, I really, really lived for that. And now that I can't, I'm struggling to have joy. And so, so sometimes you don't know until something is shaken or taken with children, it's that, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I don't know. I, I've, I've, I've got some young ladies in our church, and it really does concern me. I'll see them online saying, I just must have a, a, a little nursing baby. I have to have a little nursing baby at all times. I'm just like, why? 
like they're going to become teenagers. Keep this in mind, young women. I just want to say to them, stop. It's like, it, it's great. I love little kids too. It's because it, as hard as it is in its own way, right? They need bathe. They need, that is so easy compared to what's coming. <laughs> it's like every single one of these will become a teenager, young adult, and the challenges are so much greater. I'm not saying it's wrong to have 12 kids, but just slow it down, especially if you're thinking, I keep having little babies because there's something about that, that this is what fulfills me. I must have a nursing infant. Why? It's great to be a mom, but what what is going on there? Even like with work, you know, it can happen to both genders, men and women, so, but I'll stereotype a little bit. Women tend to, in general, struggle a little more with the kids going, I think because they spend way more time with them and are invested in them, and men tend to struggle a little more with career issues because they're not as relational and are a little more, this is what I do, and when you're displaced, whew, it's like, well, who am I now? The world has terms for this, but the Bible was talking about it a long time ago, idolatry. So the world calls that mother doesn't know who she is now without the kids, empty nest syndrome. They have all these syndromes. And then the world calls that guy or woman who's at a loss because their career, they're not who they used to be and they're being displaced, a midlife crisis. And what happens? He tries to get the hair on his neck to grow on his head. He divorces his wife. I mean, we laugh, but it's sad, right? You see these people. He divorces his wife. He marries someone half his age. He gets a sports car, a midlife crisis. Well, the Bible calls it something else, idolatry. It shows you had your sense of significance in the wrong place all along. Let me give you a good book that's about idolatry, but I didn't realize it. I had it on my shelf. It's Paul Tripp's Lost in the Middle. I love love David Pallison. Here's another great name, Paul Tripp. And so he has a book called Lost in the Middle that is about midlife but a woman in my church wrote me and said, oh, Pastor, because she knows this, this issue of heart and idols is such a big deal for me. She said, Pastor Brad, lost in the middle is actually all about idolatry, which makes sense. That's what a midlife crisis is. You find out your identity was not where it should have been, and now you're doing weird, destructive things to try to make up for the difference. Lost in the middle, one of my favorite Paul Tripp books. God created us to be, so it can happen anywhere. God created us to be workers because he's a worker and so we're created in his image. But that can slip into, I work relentlessly for a sense of approval or being loved and now it's unhealthy. Keeping a clear conscience even is appropriate. Paul says, I I work to have a clear conscience between God and men. But have you ever had a friend, I had one in seminary, where it's excessive, they always want to make sure that you didn't misunderstand them or think something wrong. And after a while, you're like, dude, do you realize you do, I never said it to him, but I'm like, you do this every time. We all played a board game. There were three couples. We were all poor. We were all in seminary. We'd get together once a month on a Friday night. And I could count on it that by the time we got back to our mobile home, the phone would be ringing. This is back before cell phones, young people. Phone was on the wall with a cord. If you weren't home, you couldn't answer. Yeah, nobody was texting and driving. We just drove cars. That's shocking, I know. And it would be ringing, and it would be Scott saying, now, when I said such and such, and she said such and such, I hope you didn't think I meant, uh, uh, like, dude, you're confusing me. Like, what? What's going on? It's excessive. I must be well thought of. 
Like, and, and they're, they're combing over everything they say in an unhealthy way. Don't hear me saying live like fast and loose. I just sling words left and right and I don't care. But you can see there's different ditches to fall into. This is hanging this man up. And this is no doubt affecting his relationship with his wife, co-workers. He went on to be a headmaster of a, church, of a school. What is behind, I don't ever want to be misunderstood or have anyone think ill of me. There's something going on in the heart. So what are some things we could do to try to track some of this down? Number one, follow the trail of your time, money, and affection because it always leads to the throne of your heart. Time, money, affection. Louis Giglio gets it right when he says, some of us attend the church on the corner professing to worship the living God above all. Others who rarely darken the church doors would say worship isn't part of their lives because they aren't religious. But everybody has an altar and every altar has a throne because we're created in the image of God. The heart longs to put something central and to make much of something so how do you know where and what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, your allegiance. At the end of that trail, you're, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. Sure, not too many of us walk around saying, I worship my stuff, I worship my job, I worship this pleasure, I worship her, I worship my body, I worship me but the trail never lies. We may say we value this or that thing more than any other, but the volume of our actions speaks louder than our words. In the end, our worship is more about what we do than what we say. Very insightful. Very insightful. So what's your life been saying at the end of that trail for you? Let me put it to you this way. If someone had been following you around for 30 days and watching what makes you most angry? What makes you most uneasy, anxious? What makes you most fearful? What would they determine? What makes you most joyful? What would they determine is most important? See, here's what I've decided as I've tried to shepherd believers all these years. We have a lip theology and a life theology. And often those two aren't the same. If you're in a good church, you know the right answer. You've got solid theology so you can do you realize you can keep saying the right things long after you no longer do them personally? That's what's so scary. That's why people can, a guy can preach great messages while he's committing adultery. Did you realize that? Those two things don't necessarily immediately, that's what's so scary. Scary. Lip theology and life theology. What we're actually digging into this weekend is to the best of our ability, we'll never be perfect, but to the best of our ability, we want to be constantly saying, I want my life and my own heart to actually be in alignment with what I say I believe and how I live. And it's just, I hope you're realizing this is not like, I hope you don't think, yeah, remember 2022 in January when we killed our idols. And now we've moved on to end time charts. And no, no. This is a lot like pride. You will not kill pride. You must be killing pride and be cultivating humility for a lifetime. What I hope you're catching in this weekend is get wiser and more insightful from God about where do you think your most common idols are to be aware of it. So everything that came out in our counseling, I have it written in my prayer journals. I have seven prayer journals right there in the corner of my office where I pray looking out of this window. 
and the top idols of my heart are still the issues. When I'm more tired than I should be, when I'm less filled with the Spirit than I should be, guess what? It's not a brand new bizarre thing that Brad does. He begins to drift back to that. I could still become a workaholic. I still feel it right inside, this desire to have people like me, right? But now I'm aware of it, aware of it. So I can say, God, I don't want to step back in that. I don't want to go back to that. It's awareness that we're going after so that I can fight smarter on a root level instead of just fruit. So as you think about it, let me give you some clues to look for along the trail. Here's where I want to be careful. I've given you a list but this is not like you want to say, ah, you'll sacrifice for it. Oh, she's making a sacrifice for her kids. They're an idol. When I first taught on this, a terrible thing happened. Everybody just went on an idol hunt and was saying to each other, that's an idol, that's an idol. You have an idol, that's a, don't do that. <laughs> what, what we're looking for is a cluster. If you've raised kids, you're gonna sacrifice. It costs you to raise kids, all right? So making a sacrifice doesn't mean that's an idol, but it's, is it inordinate? You know, I watch people go into deep, deep debt, putting it on the credit card because my kids will have everything and they're on, gonna be on one of those special sport teams with the sparkly outfits and we travel to other states and we stay in hotels and we have to pay for a hotel, we have to buy food, we have to buy the outfits, but oh, it's quiet now. That might be, yes, now, now, maybe you, because I watch families that can no longer be in church because we travel all the time and your kid grows up thinking, what's most important? Me and my sparkly outfit and jumping off this balance beam and kicking a ball and news alert parents, they're not going pro. They're not, <laughs> they're not. She's probably gonna be a wife and a mother and he's gonna need to work a job and so the sooner they strip the sparkly outfit off and stop kicking that and start working at McDonald's making money, the better. But their entire childhood, they couldn't even work a job because you travel and the whole world revolved around you, them, and everyone's sitting in the stands watching them every weekend and it's sad. And I get to go off on this in other states because my wife has forbade me to bring it up again in our church. She said, you cannot do that again. You've done it enough. It's my favorite thing to poke because it drives me crazy. In our culture, when I played sports, I ran track, I played football, I played tennis, I wrestled. You stayed after school. You rode the late bus home. It did not affect your parents at all. It all happened right there, and I enjoyed sports. And now this sport thing, sorry, is a god in our country. And guess what? It's an industry, you guys. These companies are making money, truckloads of money off you. It's like, yes, our daughter was invited to be on this. She's gifted. Guess what? They say that to everybody because they want you to travel and buy the outfits. Oh, but she's gifted. Uh-huh. They're all gifted. When I was young, they told you if you're not good, you're not good. You know, you're not good. You should think about doing something else. But psychology you know, there's kids that don't even know which direction the goal is, but everybody gets a trophy at the end of the year. That's so dumb, because life doesn't work that way. They might as well learn now. I'm bad. I should think of doing something else. That is so much better for real life. But psychology came in with all this self-esteem. No, you're actually good. You're terrible. You'll sacrifice. You'll spend money on it. You'll spend time on it. You'll talk about it. Ooh, you just think, what is coming out of your mouth? What, when you just have, 
What is it that you want to talk about the most? You'll serve it. You'll protect it. You'll perfect it. You'll think about it. You'll build your schedule around it. Now, there's a cluster. You're looking for a cluster. That was the tip-off for me. Again, I'm not saying, because you live in a great part of the country for golf. I'm not saying that if you play golf, I know it's an idol. But it was for me. Just, and you can probably guess with my personality, drawers shut and type A and golf would not be a good thing. <laughs> that I'm gonna try to perfect this thing. It costs money, it takes time. I was thinking about it constantly. I was building my schedule around it. And I found myself being just conniving, you know? If, if we had a blue sky glorious day, I'd like, how could I play golf? Oh, I'll take a lost guy from the church and it's evangelism. I'll take my son, he's gonna look for balls and it's father-son time, when really it's golf time. That's all it is. I was like, this is not good. I mean, I, I, I just struggled to even drive on the interstate and go to church when I was like, there's a golf course. Oh, I want to be there. And I mean, I would think about it leading up, leading up to a day to play golf. And if I woke up and it was raining, I wasn't just sad. I was what? Devastated. It's like, God, how can you do this? I work a job. I only have a certain day I can do this. And you knew this. And you would have rain? <sighs> and, and, and then it was worse. I'm coming home. I've been gone for four and a half, five hours. That's how long you have to be gone when you hit the ball that many times. Right? I'm not that good. It costs me money, and I'm angry. Right? Now, it's about to get worse. She's going to say, how did it go? <laughs> you can't say, terrible, and I'm angry. Because she'll say, well, then don't do it. But I want to do it. So I say, great. I've spent time, money, I'm angry, and I've lied. I should quit. I just thought, this isn't good. I, I, what's happening to me? It was like, it'd take me another week to get over the round of golf, and yet I would do it again. It was this love-hate relationship. And so then I just took, now notice, I didn't throw them out. I hung them up. Because <laughs> we may come back. <laughs> but I haven't yet. It's been like eight years, and guys at the church are still, Brad, Brad, you playing golf yet? Nope. I mean, I feel so free. And now I'm not joking at all. I can drive on the interstate. Like, if I was to see a golf course out here, I haven't yet, because I'm, like, right downtown, and I'm just walking. It wouldn't bother me. I was just like, yeah, you don't own me. You don't own me. No, I'm free. Because that's how it felt. I was just like, how? Oh, and I'm so happy I'm so much happier. I say to the guys at church, oh, I'm so happy not playing golf. Love not playing golf. Way more than playing golf. There's actually my sweet wife that said, oh, honey, don't throw them out. Just, you know, maybe when you retire, we can play together. We'll see. Because with my personality, I would even have guys at church say, oh, just, just have a good time. That is so stupid. <laughs> like, when you're not playing good, that's not a good time. That's an oxymoron. It's not possible to have a good time if you're not playing well. And then sometimes someone would say something even more stupid. Just don't keep score. That is so stupid. It's all about the score. That is really the deal. Like, just don't keep score. Are you kidding me? I mean, you can see, like, even like at youth camp, until I snapped my ACL, I would go every year and have a team because we divide up with teams. And I would say to my team, now I want you to understand, we are not ha here to have a Christian good time. We're here to dominate and to win. <laughs> so if you're that weak link in volleyball, stay towards the back because we're going to be setting and spiking. None of this just slapping it around. I mean, we're here to win. Yeah. And then God snapped my ACL. So now they're just slapping it around like they used to. <laughs> but that would just drive me crazy. I'm like, oh, 
you're so bad, just get out of the front of the line. Like, oh. So I'm, I'm competitive. So I was like, we're going to have to hang them up because this isn't. So now, seriously, it was idolatry. This means so much to me. Lots of emotion around this. I had to let it go. You'll worry about it. You'll get angry. You'll live in fear. One of the biggest indications of idolatry is excessive fear over something. You don't just say that would be hard. It's like, oh, devastated on that. Number two, take note of your heart during suffering. Oh, don't waste your suffering. Because during times of suffering and adversity and heat, guess what? You often can see more of heart. Heart that normally lies safely below the surface. When things are comfortable and things are going well, you often have no idea about your heart. You think you're more loving. Like, for instance, even in, in my own life, I thought I was the most godly loving person, but I was single. I'm playing my guitar in the woods for hours and singing to Jesus, and I love to pray. I'd go into the little storage luggage closet on the end of our, our hall dorm thing and just pray for hours, and I thought I was so godly. And then I got married. And my first thought was, you did this to me. Like, I, but no, she didn't do anything. It exposed now, don't hear me saying God can't grow single people. He can use other things, roommates, friendships, adversity. But God used marriage hugely to think, I'm not as loving as I thought. I love people who do what I want. I love lots of margin in my life that I'm not interrupted and I get, I, I, I plan things out and they happen. And then we had a baby. Oh, and another baby. Oh, and another baby. Oh. You know, just continue to think, you're still not loving. You're really not loving. You're nothing. And then I realized, even like during 2020, the sheep were misbehaving. Yes, they were biting. And, but guess what I also saw? I'm not as loving as I thought. And I cried out to God and said, God, help me to love unlovable sheep. I need your love. See, Adversity is not a time to say, wow, they made me. They don't make you anything. They expose you. I just got exposed. So that's why you don't want to say, well, don't judge me on last year. Last year was a hard year. No, last year we saw the real you. What was coming out of your mouth? Oh, my allergies are bothering me right now. Just please. No, no, that's when we know you. I haven't slept well. Now we know you. Does this make sense? If I have lots of sleep and no allergy problems and the year is an easy year, we don't know who you are, and you don't know who you are. So don't waste suffering. Say, oh, that is not pleasant to see that that's me, but God, okay. Because until you really know who you are and where you are, there's no opportunity to grow and change. And say, ah, take note of your heart during suffering. C.S. Lewis said it, you've probably heard it many times, but it's so true. It's like God speaks to us in our pleasures and he whispers to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now don't hear, hear me saying he's sadistic and malicious and he loves inflicting, but the Bible never promised that, that he would protect us from all bad stuff. It's as this happens, he promised, Romans 8, 28 doesn't promise everything is good. He says he'll work it together for good. And then he tells us what good is. 
We tend to have the word good, all these modifiers dangling from the word good that are not biblical. Oh, well, good is fun. Good is easy. Good is comfortable. Good matches my dreams and my plans. Verse 29 of Romans 8 defines good. Anything that conforms me to the image of Jesus and makes me more like him. That in God's mind is good. The goal is not to just save us, but progressively make us more like Jesus. And so our, our thoughts should be like John the Baptist. I can't remember, it's John 3 something, maybe 36, where he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Often what brings that about is, is trials and suffering and adversity where it's like, all right, just I'm dying to self, less of me, more of him. Take note of your heart during suffering. It's a great time to learn about where your heart really is. You can see things about your heart that normally lie dormant, deep below the surface, but he pushes it towards the surface. You find out three things during the heat of suffering. What you really love, not what you say. What you really believe, life theology, not lip theology. And what you really run to as your ultimate security and greatest treasure. See, that's, you know, I told you my counselor, he said, you know, Pastor Brad, I think I might have an idol of the security of America. It's not fun, but what I think we saw in the last two years is we had a lot of Christians who said, oh, yes, 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 there's a God in control, and I have a Savior that solved my biggest problem, and they themselves did not know to what degree they thought, but mainly what helps me sleep well is America, is who I want, where she is, and where I want her to be, but they didn't know it, so I don't think they meant to be deceitful, but the heart is what the heart is, and when they began to rage and carry on, and it's like, I'll do anything to turn this around. I'll shatter relationships. I'll attack other people. I'll assume motives. I'll behave in ungodly ways. That's what I saw. I was like, what is going on? And yet they continued to defend, but you don't understand. You don't understand what's at stake, Pastor Brett. I do understand. You don't understand what you're doing. This is saying something about you way more than it's saying something about America and everyone around you, their security, more than they realized, was in where America is, who America is, and it matches what I would want. You think about it. Other Christians have lived already for decades, some of them centuries, in cultures where your civil authorities are nowhere near aligned with biblical truth. We've just enjoyed it in America. Praise God. Praise God. But if we don't have it anymore, it doesn't mean we can't be Christians and we can't, but we've got some Christians acting like, we can't even be Christians, we can't, yes we can. In fact, it's time for American Christians to grow up. Put your big boy, big girl pants on and begin to live like they've lived in Albania and Romania and other places for centuries. And it actually could be one of the greatest seasons of harvest ahead. Again, I don't want you to make it sound like, Argh. Yes, I still get fearful and think, will I go to prison soon? I could. If it keeps going like this, and it'll be illegal. You know, we've got some laws that are passing in our area that you won't even be able to do biblical counseling with anything related to gender and sexuality, a fine of $1,000 a day, and then imprisonment. All right, that's scary. I don't want you to think that doesn't bother me. But it shouldn't cause you to think, I need to scream and be angry and freak out and, and... no, 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 I need to pray. 
And then I need to say, fill me with your spirit and I trust you. I'll trust you, God. I'll trust you, God. You'll take care of us like you've taken care of Christians for centuries now. Don't waste. Don't waste your suffering and heat. Number three, look for chaos. Huh? Has there been chaos in the last two years? Guess what? Chaos always surrounds idolatry. We have had massive amounts, and not just among Christians, right? You can see unbelievers, the way they go about their cause, it's what they live for. It's my entire identity. We've got so many people that have have fixed their identity to a certain cause and gone to war over it that there is chaos in our culture. And the Bible has a word for what causes people to do that, idolatry. Everybody, unbelievers and believers, are supposed to be fully, their identity is in who they are in relationship to their creator God through Jesus Christ. Unbelievers can do no different. That's why it breaks my heart. We are the people that at least can repent and come where we should come. The world cannot. They are lost. They are dead in trespasses and sins. But we don't need believers acting just like unbelievers. James 3.16 captures it well. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. You think about it. Envy and self-seeking is usually what I'm doing when I'm, when I'm being controlled by an idol. I have to have this, and you need to help me get it. I have to have this, and you need to help me get it. And if you get in my way, you're my enemy, and we're going to go to war. Confusion and every... Whenever I'm dealing with a situation at church that seems like it just won't settle down. I don't know if you've ever encountered things like that where you have this meeting and you think it went well and you think everybody understood each other and everybody looks like they're behaving. And I've learned now, silly me, I've been a pastor long enough. I used to come home and Vicky would say, how'd it go? I think it went really well. <laughs> Idiot. No, it didn't go well. Now I just say, we'll see. <laughs> it seemed like it went well. We'll see. Because then in 24 hours, I'd get this ginormous epic email with red exclamation points. As I thought more, I wish you hadn't thought more. Just stick with what we were saying. Why? Why does that happen? Because the heart hadn't changed. And whenever I see massive amounts of confusion, this seems just chews up tons of time. I always say, all right, there are hidden agendas. Well, another way of saying hidden agendas is an agenda is always tied to heart. What do I really want? There are people sitting in that room that have very strong, different agendas. And until that comes out and people begin to repent of it, there will be ongoing confusion. There just will be. I had a a massive, ugly situation in our church that lasted two years regarding a, a guy on staff and his adult son and his grandkids that involved alcohol and drugs, alcohol abuse and drugs and guns. Big, big, big mess. But here's what I, I didn't realize at the time. I finished preaching one Sunday and I'm standing right there and his daughter-in-law comes up to me and says, oh my goodness, we're in the biggest mess. We need help and please don't let, and she named him. And he's on our staff and he's older than me. Don't let so-and-so be involved at all because that was her husband's father. I thought, well, that was an odd statement. <laughs> Two years later, it was not an odd statement. This man, who is godly, who started our church, who was my friend, because it involved his son and he had his own agenda, which was my son has to be right. None of that came out until this trial, right? 
He had behaved. I knew he was a powerful man. He was one of the top blah, blah, blahs for, well, I should stop saying all this because you're going to, he was a top guy for some company. And I always found myself saying, I would say to Vicki all the time, man, he could just run over me, but he doesn't. He doesn't. You know, in meetings, he'd say, well, all right, what does Brad think? He's our pastor. I was like, I can't believe until, until it was this issue. And then he just kept saying, Brad, you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. No, you don't understand. Let's call him Bob. Let me do it without you. And we had a team. But it didn't matter what we did. We'd done it wrong. We'd done it wrong. We'd done, and as the court got involved and said, your son must be tested for drugs every week. Instead, he said, no, I bought a drug test and I'm going to do it. And he could not see how he was trying to control this. Then when there was a court mandated, he cannot see the kids because he's jerking them around by their arms and breaking things. He still said, I think the kids do better when they've seen him. They need to see him. He would try to take his son over to see We finally had to fire him. Now that's sad, but it was causing such division in the church. I had people saying, I'm not even coming on Sunday when he's preaching. And there were people that sided with him and then people that sided with her and one of the biggest messes I've ever faced. What was really at the center of it? Idolatry. I'm going to take care of my son, and he cannot be wrong no matter what's going on. And this was a godly man. Had been to that point. But I told you about that godly retired pastor that then went off the rails over, my grandkids will not go to an unreached people group. Heart, 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 heart. Whew. It's scary. And so we got to say, oh God, please help me, help me, hold on to me. Follow the trail of your time, money, affections. Take note of your heart during suffering and look for chaos. Whenever there's chaos and confusion, you can bet there's probably some idolatry and hidden agendas at play. Number four, ask yourself some diagnostic heart questions. I got three questions I like to ask myself and get my counselees to ask. Number one, am I willing to sin to get it? All I want is, but are you willing to sin to get it? And, and you're, if you're sitting there thinking, well, you mean like rob a bank? No, that's not the kind of sin I'm talking about. So like for that job promotion, are you willing to just uproot your family and move cross country regardless? It's a, it's a great next step for me. But you don't check into, are there good churches? What's the school, what are the schools like? How's that going to impact your wife and relationships and friends and the kids? Nothing else is a question. It's a great next step for me. I watch people do things like this. I'm not saying you can never relocate and take another job, but I'm talking about even like with what your job expects of you, you say, this is a great job and I love what I do. And this is what I'm hearing in, more and more and my heart goes out to you in the marketplace. You're expected to lie. But some people are looking at me saying, well, Pastor Brady, you don't understand. That's just, it's just part of it today. Oh, I do understand, but God's word hasn't changed. You cannot begin to lie and say, it's in the mail. It's there. If it's not, it's not. And you may never be able to rise to the point that you could rise if you would play the game and do what they want. Being a Christian may cost us. More and more, it's going to cost us. Are you willing to sin to get it? Number two, are you willing to sin if you think you're going to lose it? You know, there's some things we have, and you're like, you know, that's not an idol. I don't worship that. Like I've said, kids that are doing well, health. But I think the internet is a blessing and a curse, right? Back when I was a little boy, 
When you had a health problem, you met with your physicians, maybe you got a second opinion, maybe at you know, final, you'd go to Mayo Clinic, and, but now what do we do? I Google it, and will you find something? Sadly, yes. Yes, you will find something, absolutely. Roll backwards in the yard and snort this root. You'll find somebody <laughs> telling you something, and if you wanna believe it, you can chase down that rabbit trail. I read a book last year called The Death of Expertise by Tom Knoll, not a Christian, but he captures it well. Medical professionals, leaders, teachers have just about had it with everybody who thinks they're an expert because they read something on the internet and they come in ready to tell everybody what to do. Now don't hear me saying there's a place I know own your own health and, and be thinking and ask questions. Yes, what we're talking about is excess. Are you trained as a medical professional? No. You just might want to listen to what they're saying. I, I was on my knees right here. I'd just gotten on my knee to pray for this older couple and she has aggressive cancer. I said, well, let me pray for you. And then she says, I could not have been more disheartened because they always sit about right there. And there's this cluster of people and there's this one really strong woman. Let's say you be her. She sits right there. I mean, she's strong about everything. Homeschool till high school, if you love Jesus, America, she knows it all. And uh, including all medical issues. And I'm about to pray for them and, the, and because they sit right there, she's like, oh, and we're so grateful for they name her Sally Clarkson that told us all about high doses of vitamin C. And so that's what we're doing now. I'm like, God, help us. You listen to, you, you listen to Sally Clarkson. They were all jazzed. They're going to do what she says. She read that. Don't just do that. Like, what in the world? Oh, my goodness. Just terrible day. You can, I had a condition for eight years where I thought I was going to lose my mind called patulous, forever they didn't know what it was. So my own voice sounded garbled in my head. You ever heard a deaf person that can talk, how they sound, it's thick and, and their consonants are kind of missed. That's how I sounded to myself, can you imagine that? And then I, my own breath was in my head so loud like Darth Vader, you know. <sighs> and then I got to where I couldn't have a meeting and eat with someone, because if you, if you chew a Dorito or anything, it's so loud and it was awful. And so I was disoriented constantly. I didn't know what anyone was saying, and in groups, you miss everything. You know, someone says something fast, and everyone laughs, and you just feel stupid. I don't know what's going on. So hard. It started in one ear, and you adjust, and I'm like, okay, this is hard, but I'm mainly living off the other ear, and then it happened in the other ear. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I'm going to specialist ENTs in Cincinnati, and they're just saying, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And finally, this guy said... Is it worse when you exercise? And I was like, yeah. He said, I think you have patchless eustachian tube. So I go home and I Google, and I'm spot on. Oh my goodness, yes. Problem? Everybody on there saying, and I no longer work. I'm on disability. I don't talk. At Starbucks, I just slide a card across the counter that says what I want, because that's what I was wanting to do. You don't want to be around people. You don't want to talk. You don't want to, kind of like not good as a pastor. I need to talk. I need to be around people. <laughs> This doesn't work. I was like, oh. And then of course, as they said, there's no cure. We don't know why you have it. He said, typically it's anorexic women who've lost dramatic amounts of weight or, or patients who have been with chemo and they're fried. We don't know why you have it, Brad. But I could have flown to Boston and some guy has a string he'll drop in your ear and drip acid onto your eardrum and try to get it to curl up and, right? And I just had to say, Lord, I remember the day I did it. 
and it was scary and yet it was freeing, I said, Lord, I give you my hearing. You're good. I've done everything I know to do and I'm gonna trust you because I could have shifted and made that my life's cause. Do you know people who have a certain condition and whether they realize it or not, it's their whole life now. This identifies me, and if you get around me, it's all I'm gonna talk about, and I want everyone to know this about me, and it's all I do, I use my best energies. Again, don't hear me saying it's wrong to seek out a cure or wrong to pray for healing, but we're talking about inordinate, right? Where you can, I watch people in my church who don't have the money spend inordinate amounts of money going somewhere to some guy that, or one that's not a doctor doing all this stuff is costing lots of money and you never can't, you say, do you think you're better? It's hard to say. They're better, they have lots more of your money. And it's like at some point you gotta say, when am I gonna say, Lord, I trust you? We're not used to that because in America we're like, we're so used to, if I have a problem, there's gotta be a solution. What is the solution? Give me something to take, tell me something to do, and this should go away. And more and more people are having situations where doctors don't know, and it's like, you're gonna have, you might just have to live with this. This is what I mean. Am I willing to sin if I think I'm gonna lose it? I'm gonna lose my hearing. I'm gonna lose this or that or the other. Am I gonna make this my life? Now, in the goodness of God, if you're wondering, that lasted eight to 10 years. That's a long time. And I'm not a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it guy, but I also have not thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I do believe you can pray for healing. So I never stopped, so it's not wrong to give God your hearing, I did, and to keep praying, God, if it would please you, if it would please you, I'll trust you, but if it would please you, would you heal me? And there was a day that I was fasting for three days, and I was on my knees, and I saw Luke 13, I think it is, where there's this woman hunched over, and Jesus heals her, and he gets criticism, of course, because it's the Sabbath, and he said, should not this daughter of Abraham have been released that Satan is held captive for all these years. Now, I don't believe all illness is the result of Satan, but in that instance, he's saying it was. And I simply thought to myself, God, I sensed that you would have me ask you. I'm not a daughter of Abraham, but I'm, a, I'm your son. I'm in the family of God through Jesus Christ. If this is in any way of the evil one, heal me and may you be glorified. And I mean immediately things began to get better. It wasn't like, boom, but it was a gradual, I've documented it all in my prayer journal, and it is gone, gone. And I give God the glory. But I, before it was gone, had settled in and said, I'll serve you like this. I had to change offices, because my office had a vent right over, and I couldn't hear when the vent came on, game over. I can't hear what anyone's saying. I had to stop meeting people in a restaurant, because I couldn't hear with silverware, I couldn't hear in the foyer, even now, I have a hearing loss, so you can imagine with masks, I read lips. Oh my goodness, it was a hard year. Like, we would walk away, and Vicky would say, what did she say? I said, I don't know. I just kept smiling. They could have been saying, you're an idiot. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just smile a lot and nod, and I don't know. Unless I can see your mouth, I don't know what you're saying. Number three, do I run to it for a refuge instead of turning to God? Eating's not a sin. But could you eat just for pleasure and just, it, it comforts me. I'm eating and I'm, I'm, I don't need to be eating, but I'm just eating. See again, good things that God gave us and it's a false, re shopping's not a sin, but just the thrill of a purchase, someone could shop and that's your false refuge. 
TV's not a sin, but this whole like Netflix binge, it might be a sin. You should probably bathe someone, like starting with yourself, and then you've got responsibilities. Are you just checking out of life? False refuge. Sleeping's not a sin, but sometimes people just decide, I'm gonna sleep because I don't wanna face life. On and on we could go. In my own life, remember we talked about control and order? God revealed to me, so remember what we're talking about, if here's an emotion, here's a behavior that's sinful and destructive and you wanna stop, until you get at the heart, you probably won't effectively see that in. So when the kids were young, with the way I'm wired, I'm not saying this right, I want order. I want the, the little throw pillows, I want one in each corner of the couch. That's how I like it, not other places. And then I had some shelves for the shoes for the kids. We have five kids, but when I would come home on the landing there, you would think they'd all, you know, there's like 39,000 shoes. Like how many different shoes did you put on today and why aren't they on the shoe shelf? And then I'd go to the hall bathroom and the towels are on the floor instead of on the racks. Like, ah, I'm gonna lose my mind. And yet we have five young kids, right? So you can imagine my wife is like, no, I'm gonna lose my mind when you come home, because she wasn't a bad wife. I don't want you to think I'm, I'm plowing through deep filth. No, my thing was excessive. I still wanted it to just look like better homes and gardens, and I couldn't, and so I'm getting angry. I'm just like, Aah! no profanity, but just in a very pastoral kind of anger. <laughs> and, and <laughs> you know, it's that, it's that okay version. And my wife would come, she was good. She would never get on to me like publicly. In front of, she'd just lay her hand on my arm and say, honey, could I see you for just a minute? A little minute in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what? You know, and always we'd get in the bedroom and like, what, what? She's like, what is wrong with you? Nothing, what do you mean what's wrong? What, what's wrong with this place? I mean, the shoes are on the shelf and the towels are on the floor. And, and then I had it masked with, here's what, how we do it. It's a life skill, right? We're getting them ready for life. This is a life skill. Learn to put things back and da, da, da. She's like, honey, they're little. They're little kids. We have kids. Even like bikes in the driveway. Oh, that was one of my, like, don't do that. I can't pull in the driveway, you know? So, you know, I would honk the horns back in the driveway. Of course, multiple bikes in the driveway. And your kids come running out, daddy, daddy, until they see daddy. I'm out the window, Bab the bikes. And they're like, back into the house <laughs> you know so the entry into the home is starting this way every day not great and and I tried I tried to change and we weren't seeing much headway on it until because again I've told you this is not easy but it's worth the time you will not see significant heart identification and change on the fly let me put it to you this way you're gonna have to slow down I don't mean like you got to take a day off work, but half hour, hour, and I said, God, what am I saying to myself? What am I wanting? What am I turning to that's causing me to be so angry about this? And what he revealed to me was because church is so unpredictable, unsettled, if you're not on leadership, you're like, what? Yes, behind the scenes, you would know it's never done Every time we have someone who becomes an elder, they almost struggle to be in our church anymore. They're like, oh, I had no idea all this is going. Yes, yes, thank you for serving. Because <laughs> now you struggle even more because you know all that stuff. But welcome to a fallen, broken world. So because of all I was guilty of now, when I go home, I have dealt with and I want order. 
and it was a false refuge. Can, can Jesus himself comfort my heart and I can come home? Yes, but I was turning to a false. So as soon as I began to repent of that, I did better, but I had to figure out where, what am I wanting that's causing me to respond this way? Actually, then I memorized a verse. I got myself a verse in Proverbs. I can't remember it now, but it was something like, where the oxen is, there's poop, you know? <laughs> and, but, but the whole point is, hey, oxen get stuff done. Oxen are a blessing, but there's gonna be some mess. And I, I just said to myself, we have families in our church that pay thousands of dollars for children to adopt, and we just have them for free. Just boom, there's another one, and there's one, and there's one. And there are people just crying out to God for a child. And we have them, and they will not always be here. See, I had to start telling myself something different. This is a blessing Along with children, there'll be bikes, there'll be shoes, there'll be, and so then I would just put it in park, open my door. This is gonna take all of, oh my goodness, 90 seconds, right? I don't have that kind of time. Move a bike, get back in, pull in the garage, and come in and say, hey. But notice, often we just think as soon as people stop leaving bikes, as soon as the towels are, we expect the circumstances to step up to what, quote, we want, and then we'll have peace. When I changed, when I repented, and I could only do that when I figured out where is my heart? What am I wanting? What have I built a false refuge around? Orderliness. So what's the answer? Number five, repenting and rejoicing in Christ is the way to get free. Don't ever, don't ever isolate the changing and growing process from the context of your relationship in, with Jesus Christ. Turn to Colossians chapter three and let me show you what I'm talking about as we close out this hour. Colossians chapter three, beginning in verse one. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Speaking to believers, set your, oh notice, set your hearts on things above. Don't set them on earthly things. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hit. Not one day, someday will be, right now. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life. We're supposed to be living right now with Christ as it should never be, oh, those grandkids are my life. Oh, you realize that job is my life. Uh -uh. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll be like him. Tim Keller tells a story about a, a woman in his church, in his first church, he wasn't always in Manhattan, that had lived a hard life. I mean, just, whew. and she had been even in prison, and she'd run with bad men and would do what they wanted her to do. That's how she ended up going to prison. And yet she got free. And she loved the Lord, but you know how sometimes someone who's been through something is still evident. This person has had a hard life, but here they are. Pastors, we're drawn to stuff like that. We love to hear a story. H how did this happen? I want to meet with you. So he meets with her and he says, tell me, how did this ever happen in your life? Because so many of us, I've got a few right now, I mean, you know what it looks like. We cannot get this woman to let go of this bad guy. And yet he's destructive and he's not good to her, but yet she keeps going back to him. What? is going on, often idolatry is at play. And so she said to Tim Keller, she said, after I got out of prison, I went and saw a counselor, it was a secular counselor, and, he, and she said, the counselor said to me that I was, see the world understands some of this, they just call it different things, said I was dependent on men, 
You don't hear it so much anymore, but it was really hot for a while. Codependency, remember that? That's where I'm in a relationship that I need too much. Well, that's idolatry. I was too dependent on men, and she said, you should go back to school, get a skill, so that you could be independent and have a career. And this was a sharp woman. She said, I thought there was some wisdom in that, and I did go back to school, and I did get a skill, and I did begin to have a career, but she said, I actually wanted to be free. And she said, I felt like the counselor was asking me to trade what is very often a common female idol to build your world around a man for what is often a common male idol, build it around career. And she said, I didn't want either. I got on a career path, but I held it loosely. She said, when I read Colossians 3, 5, when Christ, who is your life, appears, I said, that's it. I want Christ to be my life, my identity. So she looked at him and said, and she was you know, a little older, she said, so even right now in the singles group, when I see a guy that's attractive and I'm, I'm drawn to him, she says, I, I'll say to myself, yeah, you're attractive to me and you might be my husband one day. She didn't say this out loud, that would be weird. <laughs> but she says, I think to myself, but you will never be my life. Christ is my life. And she was living free with joy. It's similar to what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.21. You find this in more than one place in the Bible, you guys. Remember Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Not sports, not image, not career, not approval, not comfort, not control, not security, safety. Christ. Oh God, I pray that you would, you would make us aware of what we're stepping in Lord, of where we're giving ourselves inordinately, of what we're trusting in and what we've built our worlds around that causes us to live fearful, angry, threatened, that blinds us and binds us. Lord, we want real freedom in you that we might be, be, begin to have intimacy with you and truly love others, giving, expecting nothing in return, that you might use us to impact this broken world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.